Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello there, welcome to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. This episode is sponsored by italki. Um, The cool thing about italki is that um, it basically allows you to speak to native speakers and have English lessons one-to-one wherever you are in the world, and you can do it all from the comfort of your own home because it's all done over Skype. Now, listening to episodes of this podcast regularly from start to finish uh, is definitely going to help your English. Uh, but if you really want to push your English further and uh, if you want to uh, improve your spoken fluency in particular uh, more quickly and as effectively as possible, then actually talking to people and having one-to-one classes with native speakers is probably the best way to do that. Um, so you can use italki to help you in your quest to improve your English to fluency. Um, so check out italki. Go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk. And when you buy some lessons, they'll send you a voucher worth 100 italki credits after a few days. Okay, right. So here's a new episode. And uh, in this one, I'm going to tell you the uh, results of the Luke's English podcast anecdote competition. So you're going to find out who won. Uh, And then I'm going to respond to some comments, questions and messages from listeners, um, including an amazing family story uh, from World War One. Um, a grammar question about noun phrases, plurals and apostrophes, and uh, also a question about my dad's accent. Okay, so uh, some competition news, an interesting story, some grammar stuff, and a bit about different accents. That's what you're going to get in this episode. So let's start. And here's the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing out there in podcast land? Are you all right? You are? You're in kind of a good mood? That's good. Glad to hear it. I don't know why you're in a good mood. But uh, why not, eh? Why not? Why shouldn't you be in a good mood on a day like today? Yeah, I know, I know. You should be in a good mood. There's not really any reason why you shouldn't, except for all of the things that are going on in the world. But never mind all that right now. Here's a new episode of Luke's English Podcast for you to listen to. And I'm very happy to know that you're in a good mood, because I am as well, you know? The sun is shining. Um, In fact, the sun is just going down over there in the distance, I can see through the uh, window. Yeah, that's the window. You you know about windows, right? I'm not talking about things on computers. Of course not. No, I mean uh, actual windows that we use to be able to look outside of our houses and other buildings. I think you're probably familiar with the concept of a window. Windows, if you don't know, are usually made of glass. And they allow you to see outside of a building that you might be in side of. Uh, Also, windows often can be opened, which 
kind of allows you to modify the building in some way by sort of opening it up to uh, the fresh air outside. Okay, good. I'm glad I, I established what a window is. But I imagine that you already knew that, didn't you? Yes, yes, you did? Okay, good. I don't know. I don't know where you are when you're listening to this. Maybe you are a person who has nothing. You know, maybe you just are in some little tiny box, a little room somewhere, and you don't have windows. All you've got is an internet connection. And that internet connection is through a Macintosh computer, so you don't even have, like, the, the computer version of Windows. You know, just... Whatever. Yeah, okay, Luke, you're rambling. Yeah, I am. Welcome to my podcast. Now, this episode, uh, what's going to happen in this one? Um, There's going to be a bit of news, um, some admin. I'm going to talk about general podcast admin a little bit. Not too much, though. Uh, And then I'm going to attempt to go through some comments, questions, messages, emails, and stuff like that from listeners. So it's kind of like a meeting. Maybe that's the way I should do it. It's one of those sort of uh, regular meetings that I have where we kind of take stock and deal with different things. Um, we'll, we'll cover some admin at the beginning and then um, some specific questions and comments from listeners. I've no idea how long this is going to last. It could go on for, for ages. Um, and uh, if that's the case, then I'll sort of split it up into several episodes. Um, but here's, here's a general idea of the things I'm, I'd like to cover. In this, uh, in this episode. So I want to talk about the results of the anecdote competition and you're going to get the final results because the voting for that, uh, the voting for round two, the final round, closed yesterday at midnight. So the results are in. I'm going to go through the results of that and um, talk about that a little bit and then some stuff about uh, uh, the podcast, a little bit of admin, uh, then some comments and questions I've got uh, an amazing story uh, from a listener, uh, something that was sent to me uh, a while ago, and it's just a really cool story, so I'm going to tell you a story. Um, Also, I've got a question about some vocabulary and grammar. Um, Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Grammar and vocabulary questions. Um, I've got a question about my dad's accent, which I'm going to deal with. Um, And what else do I have here? Um, That's... Sort of some stuff about media bias and the newspapers and a bit more grammar. So there's loads of stuff. Bits of grammar, bits of pronunciation uh, related stuff, some things about accents, some stuff about the news media in the UK. Um, and um, so let's get started right away, shall we? Yes. Okay, then let's go. So um, the first thing to deal with is the Luke's English podcast anecdote competition. And I said that uh, uh, the results are in. The voting closed at midnight last night. Um, so here are the results in reverse order. Are you ready? Are you, are you ready to uh, find out the uh, the winner of the competition? Hold on to your hold on to your uh, I don't know. Hold on to yourself. Hold on to yourself uh, because here are the results in reverse order. So um, we started with about 60 anecdotes at the beginning. That was whittled down. That was reduced to uh, 10 anecdotes for round two. And then um, that's been narrowed down to just one single winner. So no runners-up prizes this time, I'm afraid. It's just uh, just the winner. So um, there's only one gold uh, medal available. Now, um, 
but I'm not giving a gold medal away, by the way, just so that just to make sure that's clear. There's no legal uh, obligation for me to give anything made of uh, precious metal to the winner of this competition. Uh, we'll talk about the prize in a minute. So, are you ready? Here we cut. Here we go with the uh, tenth position. Tenth position is uh, Wager Wang from China, who you obviously will remember uh, talked about how his female friend embarrassed him by admitting that she'd fallen in love with him but he suspects that it might have been a practical joke. So Weijia Wang came in 10th place. That's the sound of a of an audience of people all applauding at the same time. Um, and I'm going to do that for every single person here. Okay, ninth position. We have uh, Shujat from Pakistan, who told us the uh, dramatic story of how he narrow, narrowly avoided a terrorist attack near his college, which is actually quite serious. Um, and sort of incredible, really. But so there you go, Shujat. You got uh, ninth position. Congratulations. That one sounded a bit crap, didn't it? Um, eighth position is Elena from Russia, who told us the nightmare story about how she went on a wild goose chase to find the daughter of one of her friends who appeared to go missing one Saturday evening. Uh, so eighth position to Elena from Russia. Congratulations, Elena. You got eighth place out of 60. Well done. Um, am I going to keep doing that? Yes. Seventh position goes to Frankie from Sicily uh, in Italy. And uh, Frankie talked about how he narrowly escaped death. Another narrow escape from a, a fatality. Uh, Frankie avoided death in a walk around a lake uh, that turned into the day trip from hell. Um, so seventh position to Frankie. Sixth position goes to Vasily from Tashkent. And Vasily, 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 Vasily from uh, Tashkent. I became uh, Sean Connery there for a second. Uh, it's quite difficult to say Vasily from Tashkent without becoming Sean Connery at least once. Uh, in that. Uh, Vasily from uh, Tashkent, Tashkent um, in uh, Uzbekistan, told the st- uh, he told a sweet story of how he met his wife, and the whole thing was accompanied by the lovely sound of the accordion, um, if you remember. And uh, this story became something of a cult hit in the comments section of the website, prompting lots of speculation about Vasily's virtuoso accordion-playing skills. Um, but anyway, there you go. Sixth place, Vasily, for your um, love story with accordion uh, background music. Congratulations. Fifth position. Fifth. Fifth. Can you say all of these, by the way? Can you do? Can you repeat these? Tenth. See, it's not too difficult. Tenth. Try not to say tenth, like with a f, f sound. It's not an F sound. It's a th sound. That's your tongue and your top teeth. Th, 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 not th like Friday, but th like Thursday. So tenth, not tenth, and not tense either. No, tenth. Tenth. Then we had ninth, eighth, that's difficult, eighth, seventh, uh, sixth. And now we are uh, down to fifth position. That's a difficult one. Fifth, fifth. Oh, my microphone is disgusting now. It's not really. Okay. This is very silly, this episode, isn't it? It feels like it. I don't know if it feels silly to you. Uh, anyway, what's that? 
Oh, get on with it. Okay. So fifth position uh, is Jose from Spain. <laughs> Congratulations, Jose. Jose told a creepy story about a suspicious character that he used to know. Um, fourth position. In fourth position is Zdenek from the Czech Republic. Um, Zdenek, you got into fourth place out of 60. Congratulations. Uh, Zdenek uh, told an amusing anecdote about a lesson that he learned, or a lesson, in fact, that his friend learned on the London Underground about how to say please to strangers in the UK. So fourth place, um, Zdenek. Uh, Third position. And uh, so here we are, the top three positions. And in third position is uh, Marla from Germany. And uh, in her lovely voice, she told us about how she found herself on the set of the brilliant BBC TV series Sherlock and how she met one of the main cast members of that show. Congratulations, Marla. Well done. Lovely story. And then, so that this is a huge audience of people I've got here during this recording of the podcast. Uh, and then we get to um, um, second position. And second position is Saya from Japan. Well done, Saya. But you didn't get to the top spot this time, but uh, you came second. Congratulations, Saya. Uh, Saya told us the story uh, about how... Uh, she, oh, it's difficult to say. She told us this, a story involving... Uh, a pajama-based family coincidence, which proved to her that she is truly a chip off the old block. Okay, there's a whole episode of the podcast in just that one sentence, I think. So she told us a story, fine, involving. So the story included these details. It involved uh, uh, a pajama-based family coincidence. So it's a family coincidence that involved pajamas or that was based around pajamas. And that pyjama-based family coincidence proved to her that she truly is a chip off the old block. And if you're a chip off the old block, right, imagine a block of wood and a chip like a piece of the wood that's been chipped off. Um, If you're a chip off the old block, it means that you are sort of made from the same stuff as your father or your mother, that that you really take after one of your parents. You're a chip off the old block. So in Saya's story, she told us how she by, she accidentally wore her pyjamas to school one day. She didn't realise. She hadn't taken her pyjamas off and she wore them to school and, and she sort of made a bit of a fool of herself. And um, she later on learned that her dad had done the same thing, that he went to work with uh, some of his pyjamas still on as well. So it just shows that uh, Saya is a chip off the old block. She takes after her father. Okay, so she's a chip off the old block. Um, so that was uh, second position for Saya. Congratulations. But in first position, are you ready? Drum roll. Now, is that a drum roll? Sounds more like a, a motorbike. It should be a drum roll. Let, let me try that. And in first place, it's Christina from Russia. Congratulations, Christina. That's the whole world applauding for you, Christina. Uh, Christina from Russia, you might remember, told us about her nerve-wracking experience of doing a completely unprepared live simultaneous translation for a famous film director on stage in front of a large audience of people. Um, So uh, apparently people enjoyed that story the most. So congratulations, Christina. You've won. 
well done to you. And I, I, I hope that everyone else listening to this podcast at this point uh, joins me in congratulating you, Christina, on uh, winning this prestigious competition. Um, and that everyone at this point is kind of going, well done, Christina. Nice one. Nice one, Christina. Um, that's probably what everyone is thinking. If they're not thinking that, then, you know, at least they're hearing me say it. Um, anyway, I'm sure everyone is, you know, uh, joining me in congratulating you at this moment, Christina. Well done. Um, but I would like to say congratulations to everyone who took part in that competition. It was really great to listen to your stories. Um, and um, you can still hear all of those anecdotes by visiting the page for episode number 387. That's where all of the anecdotes are listed and you can still hear them. Um, and um, so I hope that you do join me in congratulating the winner, uh, Christina, and also the, the runners-up there who I've just named. Well done to everyone. You're all brilliant. Now, what is Christina's prize? Well, I've agreed that uh, I'm going to talk to Christina on Skype. We're going to have like a Skype conversation um, so that's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm in touch with Christina. We are in email contact and we're just arranging the time when we're going to talk to each other. So uh, she she tells me that she is um, she she does consider that to be a genuine prize. In fact, she said, uh, um, yeah, that's amazing. It's like uh, being invited to play music with my favorite rock band or something, which is a very flattering comment because you know, if if my favourite rock band invited me to play music with them, I'd be completely, um, you know, I'd be completely bowled over by it. Um, so that's very flattering. So it seems that Christine is very happy to uh, get her prize of a, uh, a, a chat with me. So that's going to come up. We're going to organise that in the future. OK, now then, is there still music here? Oh, yeah, still a bit of music in the background. OK, now then. Uh, let's move on, and um, I'm now going to talk about some um, announcements and some other stuff, other bits and pieces. I actually want to talk about the the adverts that you might have heard at the beginning of uh, episodes of this podcast. Okay, now, you might have heard some adverts being played at the beginning of episodes recently. You might have heard some adverts, and... Uh, for example, you play an episode on your podcasting app or on the website, and before the episode begins, you hear about 20 to 30 seconds of advertising. And it's not necessarily in English. It might be in the language of your country. Um, now, I'm not talking about the bits at the beginning where I mention my sponsor for the podcast, but I'm talking about another ad uh, that you might have heard, not featuring my voice, probably in another language. Um another language other than English. Um, now, the ads that you might have heard are region-specific. For example, here in France, I hear adverts for Mini, um, which is kind of a coincidence because um, those adverts are voiced by my friend Tom Morton, who you might remember from, episodes 340, from episode 344. Um, now, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? So when I play back episodes of the podcast, or in fact, any other episode which is um, hosted by Audio Boom, uh, my, my uh, audio host, I hear adverts with Tom Morton's voice, which is really strange because I know him. It's just because he does so many voiceovers here in both English and French that I often hear his voice in adverts at the beginning of my episodes. Um, now, some of you won't be hearing these ads. You might never have heard them, but many of you will. 
and you might be wondering what they are. So let me explain. Now, those adverts are not added by me. I'm not adding them in. I just do the sponsorship mentions that you hear in my own voice, all right? Now, uh, these other adverts that have been dropped in at the beginning, they are added by Audio Boom, and I'm hoping that they will be a temporary thing, to be honest. Now, Audio Boom are my audio host. Uh, that means that um, I say Audio Boom are. You might be thinking, isn't it Audio Boom is? Well, it depends. It's one of those nouns uh, that can be plural or can be singular. You know, a bit like the government is or the government are, the team is or the team are. Manchester United is or Manchester United are. It sort of depends whether you consider them to be one thing or a group of individuals. So I'm I'm kind of consider Audio Boom to be a group of, you know, individuals. So anyway, that's why I say Audio Boom are. So uh, Audio Boom are my, aud- my podcast host. So when I upload my audio, I upload it onto their servers and they store the media, uh, the audio episodes. They store them using their servers and they handle things like the way in which... Uh, the audio is streamed, and they also create the embedded players, which I then uh, add onto my website. So it's all of that hosting and and all that stuff is a- uh, handled by Audio Boom. They're responsible for my RSS feed and all that kind of stuff. Um, now they um, they uh, they what? Yes, they are now inserting advertisements into podcast content, which is hosted by them. Okay. Now, I'm one of many podcasts which are hosted by Audio Boom. Um, they do lots and lots of audio hosting services, not just podcasts. Uh, they do audio hosting for lots of other purposes. For example, for news websites that want to embed audio clips onto their websites, or journalists who want to publish pieces of audio. Um, so, Audio Boom, you know, they have lots of clients, and they basically host audio podcasts and other things. Now. Uh, They've recently started featuring adverts on audio content in order to monetize their service because I think that, you know, this is part of their, I guess, corporate strategy or something that they started. They started by offering their audio services free for the most part and they've got to a point now where they need to try to monetize it in order to keep the whole thing moving. This is just the context in which we are in these days. Um, Obviously, if you use YouTube, then you'll be well aware that uh, YouTube as a video streaming service also includes um, bits of advertising at the beginning of videos. And it's it's kind of normal now. It's a bit annoying, but it is normal. And Audio Boom um, are kind of doing a YouTube and they are adding bits of advertising at the beginning. Now, I'm in discussion with them about this. I've been emailing them. I've, I had a Skype call with them. I've been talking to them about these adverts. Now, personally, I don't really want the ads. I don't really want them to be there. Um, I have my own sponsors, uh, and that's iTalkie and Audible at this, po- at this point. And I've got some other sponsors that I'm talking to. And uh, the sponsorship is working pretty well because... Um, I like the services that I'm talking about. Uh, we have a good relationship. And, you know, iTalkie, Audible, and some others that I'm, I'm talking to uh, at the moment too, they're all services that I think reflect the aims of my podcast. You know, they're learning English services or they are services that you can use to develop your English. I don't really want other advertisements in addition to those sponsorship mentions. Some sponsorship is definitely necessary in order to keep this podcast free for you. And I want it to stay free, you know. 
Sponsorship, I think, is part of the solution to this. You know, I want the podcast to be free. I want everyone to be able to download it free. And yet I need to be able to kind of uh, start being paid for doing this because it takes quite a lot of my time. And, you know, essentially this is kind of like a part-time job for me now. Uh, which works for everyone because the more time I can devote to this, the more I'm able to do these episodes on a regular basis and and so on. If I, if I didn't get any money from doing this, then I wouldn't be doing it essentially at this stage in my life. Um, so anyway, uh, so sponsorship is necessary and it's a good thing. But too much advertising, I think, is definitely not a good thing. Um, I want to make sure that your listening experience is enjoyable as much as possible. Um, I personally find it annoying and a little bit jarring, meaning a bit irritating, to hear certain types of advertising at the beginning of episodes. What I'm what I'm trying to say is that I, you know, I find it deeply annoying to hear Tom Morton's voice at the beginning of the episodes. I don't really mean that, Tom. I'm just joking. See, see what I did there? I just made fun of you. No, I don't mean Tom. I'm quite happy to hear Tom's voice, but I mean, you know, I don't really like to hear certain types of advertising at the beginning of episodes. And, you know, I imagine it's similar to for you, although I don't know, maybe you don't mind. I'm, I'm sure a lot of you are, at this point are going, what are you talking about? I've never heard any of these adverts. Well, fine. As I said, it only occurs in certain regions. I think, for example, in Russia, uh, there aren't any adverts, but in Europe, there are. So, you know, it sort of depends where you are. Um, now, I'm in talks with Audio Boom about how we can enter a new agreement in which uh, those adverts are not featured on my content. That new arrangement is now pending, which means that we're in the middle of sorting it out. And, you know, I'm basically waiting for Audio Boom to get back to me with some other options. Um, now, hopefully, we'll find a solution which is satisfying, or I might move to a new podcast host which would be pretty inconvenient to me, you know, because I'd have to change lots and lots of embedded audio players and it would be a massive load of hassle for me. But in the long run, it might be better for the podcast. So I'm looking at other podcast services and the kind of offers that they have. Um, In the meantime, you might hear some ads inserted at the beginning and at the ending uh, of my episodes, but I I expect it won't be a long-term thing. Right, they'll just be there until Audio Boom and I have figured out a way to either remove them, improve them, or or um, you know, or, or find another solution. Okay, all right. Now you might be thinking at this point, you might be thinking, but Luke, you could earn money from them. You could earn some money from those adverts to help you monetize your podcast. And yes, that is a good point. Audio Boom do have a a, a, a revenue sharing program, but as I said before. I already have sponsors, which I feel are working for me well enough, and they allow me to cover my costs, um, and uh, you know they pay for the time that I devote to uh, the preparation, recording, and production of the podcast. So the sponsorship's already working in that way. The main thing for me at this stage is that the listening experience is good for you. Um, so I need to balance a lot of things. I need to balance the monetary support that I might get from advertising or sponsorship your experience of listening to my episodes, the workload that I have, and the time I have to devote to the project, okay? So, in brief, if you've heard slightly intrusive-sounding advertising at the beginning of my episodes, then I'm aware of that. I didn't insert those adverts myself, and I expect it'll only be a temporary thing until Audio Boom and I have re- have reached some kind of agreement Um, And we'll see how that develops as we go forwards. Okay, right then. So that's stuff about the competition. And also, um, 
some stuff about advertising that you might have heard. Let's have a bit of music now as a little interlude. Whoa. Okay. So how are you getting on, everyone? It's one of those episodes, another one of those episodes in which I'm kind of rambling on a little bit. Now, earlier on today, I got home from work and uh, I had my lunch and everything. And I sat down and I'd been planning this episode for a little while you know, because I had just had collected lots of stuff together that I wanted to tell you about in this episode. Um, and I was planning it and sort of preparing responses and things like that. And I realised that I'd been planning it for ages and ages and ages and that uh, it was getting late in the day. You know, I'd been planning it at little stages over the weekend and at various times last week. And to be honest, in the planning of an episode, there comes a point at which I just have to stop planning and start recording. And the result of that is that it tends to be a little bit haphazard at times. Um, So that's what's going on here. Anyway, now I said to you before, didn't I, that I would tell you an amazing story. So I'm going to do that now. So we're moving on now to the amazing story section of this uh, episode. All right, so here's a story that um, uh, I got in the form of a comment on an old episode of the podcast. Um, And this is a story, like a family history story, relating to World War I, and it relates to a Turkish prisoner of war in Russia, okay? So it's like a World War I story. Now, this is a comment from a listener called Dennis, um, who I think is from Turkey. Um, I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, And this is a comment that Dennis uh, wrote on one of my episodes about D-Day from a few years ago. I don't know if you remember, uh, but in 2014, um, I recorded two episodes which were called Luke's D-Day Diary Part 1 and Luke's D-Day Diary Part 2. In those episodes, I went to uh, a, a town in the north of France, in Normandy, in order to commemorate um, the 70th anniversary of the D-Day landings. So D-Day, D-Day was a, a really sort of significant moment in uh, World War II. And that's when the Allied forces um, uh, invaded mainland Europe in order, in order to fight back against uh, the Nazis, basically. Um, all right, so this is at the time during World War II when mainland Europe, uh, northern France, was occupied by um, um, the Axis forces. And uh, as part of a as part of a, a counter attack against them, a huge uh, invasion of Normandy was planned and executed, which I think is still uh, considered to be the largest uh, armada of, of warships ever assembled. And um, American, Canadian, British, Polish, French forces, and many other uh, forces um, landed on the beaches at Normandy. Um, and it was, um, you know, by all accounts, a horrific day, especially for some of the American troops that landed at, uh, I think, Omaha Beach. Um, if you've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, the Steven Spielberg movie with Tom Hanks, that tells part of the story of um, the experience of uh, some American soldiers who landed at D-Day. So that's D-Day. Now, my grandfather took part in D-Day. He was one of the British soldiers who landed at one of the beaches. He was an officer. 
uh, in charge of a group of men, and they land. He, you know, he was in one of those landing craft that travelled across the the English Channel. Uh, he's one of the guys who jumped off uh, 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 the landing craft into the water and had to wade through the water and then uh, run across the beach while being shot at by the enemy. And he managed to survive. It must have been horrendous and traumatic and uh, really frightening. But he managed to get through it. And um, in fact, he made it all the way through France and deep into uh, enemy territory. And it was part of his World War II campaign. So I went to Normandy a couple of years ago in order to take part in the large commemoration that was happening in order to sort of remember the things that had happened in that area during World War II. And it it meant a lot to me because, um, you know, I, I was able to sort of I don't know, just imagine what it must have been like for my grandfather. So it was quite an emotional um, uh, experience in some ways. And I told the story in in that episode. And at the end of the episode, I asked my listeners if any of them had any similar stories about, you know, relatives or ancestors of theirs who had, um, you know, been through experiences like that during World War Two or World War One. And um, so didn't really get any responses with stories until just recently when Dennis um, posted this comment. And it's kind of a coincidence because my grandfather was called Dennis and this listener is called Dennis. So it's sort of a weird coincidence. But um, let me just read out Dennis's comment um, here. So Dennis wrote this. He said, hey, Luke, that was an intense episode, wasn't it? I can understand what you feel about your grandpa. I listened to this episode recently and came here to check if any commentator mentions anything about World War One or Two, uh, which is related to their family. Um, as a reminder, you asked for it in the podcast. As you probably know, Turkey kept its neutral status during World War Two. So, as a Turkish person, my family don't have any World War II memories, except how hard those states of emergency years were. On the other hand, World War I was a really intense chain of events in Turkish history since so many Turkish people were killed during the battles and even infants had to fight for the very reason uh, after a while it had become defending the mainland for Turkish people. So here is the memory of, uh, here's the memory from the father of my grandfather. Dennis continues by writing this. He said, The Caucasus campaign had been a real disaster for the Turks, since fighting with the Russians during uh, the winter uh, is always a bad idea, and the sick man of Europe, the Ottoman army, lacked equipment for such a formidable campaign. In a nutshell, so many Turkish people died because of the winter conditions and the situation became a piece of cake for the for the Tsardom of Russia. Okay. Um now he goes on to say the father of my grandfather or my my great grandfather that's it my great grandfather. So my great grandfather was really lucky to stay alive and he became a prisoner of war after the Russians surrounded them. So he must have been captured by the Russians and he became a prisoner of war. As a prisoner of war, he had to do whatever the Russians decided for him, and in the end, he was sold to an aristocratic Russian family, and he became a stableman for them. A stableman is like someone who looks after horses. 
Okay, so he was captured by the Russians, um, and he had to work for them, and he became a stableman. Um, after a while, that Russian family let him marry, since they thought there was no turning back for him anymore. So he married a low-class serf woman, and they even had two babies. Now, a serf woman is not a woman who likes surfing. No, a uh, serf woman is um, like a sort of peasant woman, a, a woman who lived on the land, you know, like a farmer or something. So it seems that Dennis's great-grandfather was captured by the uh, Russians, became a prisoner of war, and had to work for a family, like a Russian uh, uh, aristocratic family. And he worked uh, on the land. He was, he was a stableman. And he even married a low-class uh, uh, local woman. And they had two babies. But then the uh, Tsardom of Russia also collapsed, and the October Revolution stormed through all of Russia. This incident had serious effects on aristocratic families, which is not a surprise. So during all that mess, my great-grandfather managed to escape by boat and came back to Turkey again. Of course, he had to leave his Russian wife and those two children there because he had no other choice. After he came back to Turkey, he fought in the Turkish War of Independence and after that finally married a Turkish woman which led to me in the long run. So, Luke, isn't this weird? There are some people in Russia who are my distant relatives in a way, and there's almost no way for us to find each other. I just wanted to share that story here, since I know many Russians listen to your podcast, and who knows, it's a small world with weird coincidences. Thank you for all the podcasts. Wow. So, that's Dennis's story. Um, So... It seems that Dennis there in Turkey, he's probably got some distant relatives. The, the, uh, the wife, the former wife of his great-grandfather, who uh, his, gran- his great-grandfather had to leave, and those two children. I wonder what became of them. And maybe Dennis has got some distant relatives who still live in Russia. So now, this is the point at which I ask all my Russian listeners... Does that sound familiar to you? Do you know anyone from your family? Now, I know it's a very long shot, right? It's a long shot, but it might just work. Who knows? There might be someone out there listening to this who um, who, who kind of knows someone with that story, you know? There might be someone out there who uh, recognises this story. So, I don't know. Is Are there any Russian listeners out there who have uh, uh, knowledge or a, a family story about um, a, a Turkish stableman who had to uh, leave Russia and go back to Turkey? Maybe. Maybe there's a great-grandfather in there or a great-great-grandfather in there somewhere. Or I don't know. Um, if that's you, then get in touch, all right? Because it would be amazing to somehow reconnect uh, Dennis with some of his long-lost uh, ancestors. Uh, maybe there are some cousins out there. Who knows? So get in touch if that sounds familiar to you. Okay, there you go. So that's an interesting story, don't you think? I think so. I love that story. Thanks, Dennis. Uh, great to uh, great to get your comment there. And uh, who knows? Uh, we might actually find members of your distant family in Russia. We will see. Okay. Um, now, let's move on to a language-related question uh, from uh, one of my listeners. So this is a, a language question from Yaron, who uh, is a regular commenter on the website. 
And Yaron had a question in response to the title of episode number 397. So a few weeks ago, I uploaded episode 397. Do you remember the name of that one? It was called An 80-Minute Ramble. An 80-Minute Ramble. Because in that episode, I rambled on uh, uh, for about 80 minutes. Okay? So I rambled for 80 minutes, and the episode was called An 80-Minute Ramble. Um, And here is Yaron's question. He said, Hi, Luke. It's been a while. Good to have you back. I didn't listen to this episode yet, meaning I'm going to correct that one, Yaron. I haven't listened to this episode yet. Uh, I haven't listened to this episode yet. Uh, I probably will do in the evening. Anyway, I have a small question. He said, Should it be an 80-minute ramble or an 80-minutes ramble? I find that all the subjects with the S at the end of the word in English to be very confusing. For example, you need to add the S with an apostrophe before or or after the S, etc. I really appreciate it if you could clarify it. I would really appreciate it. I'm correcting you again, Yaron. I would really appreciate it if. That's quite a common mistake you made there, Yaron, which is fine because now we can learn. Um, for, I would appreciate it if you could clarify it. Okay. All right, then. I will. So, yes, it is an 80-minute ramble and not an 80-minutes ramble. So that's one thing. Uh, why is it an 80-minute ramble? That's one question. And the other question really is about how we use apostrophe S at the end of a noun. And there are a few little different rules relating to that, okay? So let's start with the first thing, which is why is it an 80-minute ramble without the S and not an 80-minutes ramble? So now, as you know, uh, plural nouns, unless they are irregular, you know, like children or people, plural nouns do take an S. For example, I'm going to talk for about 80 minutes, okay? Eight minutes, but not in the case of an 80-minute ramble, because 80-minute here is like an adjective for the word ramble. And adjectives in English aren't pluralized. So an 80-minute ramble is really a noun phrase, and the main noun, the principal noun in that phrase is the word ramble. So it's a ramble. What kind of ramble? It's an 80-minute ramble. So essentially, 80-minute, you could hyphenate it, 80-minute, that is an adjective because it's telling us about the, the, the main noun ramble, okay? So, although 80 and minute, those words aren't normally adjectives, here they are used as adjectives. So, we don't pluralize our adjectives in English, and that's why uh, there's no S on 80 minute, okay? Now, that's the theory, that's the kind of grammatical rule, but it is a little bit abstract, as grammatical rules often are, Um, It might be easier to sort of learn this when you consider that there are many, many, many common examples of this kind of structure where you have a number and then a a noun that's not plural and then another noun. Um, For example, you've got a five-star hotel. It's a five-star hotel. Not it's a five-stars hotel, but it's a five-star hotel. Can you think of some others? Um, You could say um, a £10 note, a £10 note. That's a 
uh, a note worth £10, piece of money, a £10 note. Hey, I've got found a £10 note in my pocket. Hey, it's nice, isn't it, when you find money? I was looking through the pockets of this old jacket and I found a £10 note. A £10 note, £5 note, a £20 note, a £50 note. Um, okay, a four-year-old girl, a four-year-old girl, not four-years-old girl, a four-year-old girl, a five-minute walk, uh, a $10 fine, a fine, you know, that's money you have to pay if you do something wrong. For example, if you park your car in the wrong place, then you might have to pay a fine, you know, like, oh, I got a fine the other day for parking. Really? How much? Yeah, $10. You mean it was a $10 fine? Yes, that's right. I don't know why they call it a fine. Why do we call it a fine? Because it's not fine, is it? It's not. It's anything but fine. Um, all right. So they, sorry, you can't park here. You've got to pay $10. Fine. I'm rich. Exactly. Um, then you also have, for example, a £10,000 reward. A £10,000 reward. For example, the police are looking for this uh, murder suspect and there is a £10,000 reward on his head. Um, a nine-hour flight. It's a nine-hour flight, you know. Like, uh, we suggest that you uh, try and get some sleep. It's a nine-hour flight. There should be plenty of time. Uh, a four-hour drive, right? For example, you know, come with me. We're going to go. We're going to drive to the border. Um, it's a four-hour drive, you know. Uh, and then also 10-year cave-aged cheddar cheese. Not 10 years uh, cheddar cheese, but 10-year cave-aged cheddar cheese. That was a, a reference to uh, the cheese I talked about uh, in that episode. So that's that. that. That structure is actually very common. And it's sort of worth trying to remember that um, and remember the different examples. Um, what else? Now, apostrophe S. Apostrophe S is very common in English. And obviously, uh, apostrophe S can either mean, uh, that apostrophe S can either mean is or has, first of all, or it's uh, possessive, isn't it? And um, I do have a link here to the OxfordDictionaries.com page for the apostrophe, which is entertaining reading, ladies and gentlemen. I'm kind of being a bit uh, sarcastic there when I say that, to say the least. It's not that entertaining, but um, I mean, it depends, really, I suppose, what you consider to be entertainment. But uh, I personally quite enjoy reading about the apostrophe. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but uh, the, the link is there on the page. And it's probably best if you just click that link and read through the details about how the apostrophe is used. Because that will solve the question, uh, Yaron, about how we use apostrophe S. Probably best that you just click that link rather than me going through all of the details of apostrophe S. Except to say maybe that I guess the basic things are that obviously we use apostrophe S to talk about possession. Um, we do use apostrophe S to mean is and has, don't we? He's a doctor. It means he is a doctor. That's he, apostrophe S, obviously. He's a doctor. It's pretty basic stuff there. He has can also be uh, contracted to he, apostrophe S, as, you know, she, she has, it has. Um, uh, like, it's already started meaning it has already started. But then the other one would be for possession, apostrophe S for possession. And so, you know, 
singular nouns and, and names, most personal names. Uh, we met each other at Ben's party. Ben's party. Ben apostrophe S. Uh, right. Uh, the dog's tail wagged from left to right. The dog's tail. Dog apostrophe S. Okay. Uh, yesterday's weather was terrible. Yesterday's. That's yesterday apostrophe S. So all of those are singular nouns, personal names, uh, apostrophe S for possession. All right. Um, now, that's pretty simple. But what about if the name ends in the, the letter S? For example, if the name is James, like my brother's name, James, then what do we do? Do we do James apostrophe S? So it's like S apostrophe S. Do we do that? Well, yes, you can. You can do that. You can do James with uh, like James's like James apostrophe S. Um, fine. Or you can do James, James's, which is spelt, you know, James with S apostrophe at the end. Okay. This might not make the most entertaining podcast if I, I keep saying S apostrophe S and things like that. I don't know. Um, but did you get that? So James's could be James with apostrophe S at the end or James's with just an apostrophe. Okay, you can choose. You can do either one. What about if it's a plural noun? Okay, um, for example, girls. Girls is a plural noun. For example, the word a girl's school. A girl's school. So it's plural noun because it's the school of some girls. Uh, but um, um, we, in that case, we would just add an apostrophe after uh, the word girls. Okay, so um, the mansion was converted into a girls' school. Uh, girls is a plural noun um, with s on the end. We just add an apostrophe. Okay, so girls is just g i r l s apostrophe. Okay, um, fine. It's the same with uh, in two weeks' time. In two weeks' time, that would be in two weeks, uh, spelt w double e k s apostrophe time. Um, and there are lots of others. I'm sorry, I'm not going to go through all of that, Yaron, but the link is on the website. And in fact, you can just go to OxfordDictionaries.com and search for apostrophe and you'll get all the information there. But it's not going to make the most fascinating podcast episode ever. Um, now, some of you out there, the, the grammar geeks uh, out there might be thinking, oh, Luke, but I was, in, I was finding that interesting. Well, I've just made an executive decision not to continue reading out that post and I'm suggesting that you just go to the page and check it out yourself because that's probably the the best way to do it um let's see let's see like okay this is going to be the final question I deal with in this episode and this was a comment from a listener called Sebastian in response to um one of the recent episodes that I did with my dad um and um I've had lots of comments about uh, those episodes and it seems that people enjoy listening to uh, my dad and the things he has to say. So that's nice. Um, so uh, Sebastian's question was about the way that my dad speaks. Um, so here is Sebastian's uh, question. He said, hi, Luke. Hi, Sebastian. Um, I hope you're all right. Uh, I've got a question. Where's your dad's accent from? Where's your dad's accent from? Or what kind is it? Is it posh? Um, so Sebastian would like me to say what kind of accent my dad has. I think most people enjoy my dad's accent. They like it. They think it sounds really clear. Um, I would agree with that. I think if you want me to describe my dad's accent, I would say, first of all, it's very clear. I think he 
makes a lot of effort to speak clearly and to sort of present a very sort of uh, comprehensible version of the language. Now, he's not doing that on purpose for you, my listeners. That's just the way that he speaks. Um, He's, you know, he worked in broadcast journalism for many years. And I think that, and he also studied English literature uh, at university. And so he kind of has a great appreciation for English as a communication tool. And so he tries to speak in a very communicative, very clear, very articulate way. Um, But what about these questions about my dad's accent? And does my dad sound posh? Now, I'm going to come to the question about my dad sounding posh in a bit, because some of you might think, what does posh mean? I'll come back to that. But what is my dad's accent? So there's kind of the short answer to this and the long answer. I'm going to try and give you the short answer. Um, While I was preparing my answer to this, I wrote uh, paragraph after paragraph of rambling stuff about accents, and I realised I was getting away from the point. So I'm going to try and stick to the point and try to give you a short answer describing my dad's accent. So my dad, I would say my dad speaks standard British RP or standard British received pronunciation, which is also known as BBC English sometimes. Now, um, RP, okay, that's the name for the accent that my dad has. It's also the name, really, for the accent that I have. I speak with basically standard British RP. RP means received pronunciation. Now, RP is... This type of accent is generally associated with middle and upper class uh, or middle and upper middle class people, probably university educated from England, particularly the southeast of England, but possibly from other parts of the UK as well. Okay, so we associate this accent and I'm talking about my dad's accent and probably my accent to RP, let's call it. We generally associate that with sort of university educated people, um, probably from the southeast of England, you know, the London area or around there, sort of Oxford University, Cambridge University, stuff like that. Um, it doesn't have to be from uh, the southeast of England. You can find people who speak like this anywhere in the country. And that's one of the sort of old definitions of RP is that it was a non-region specific accent, a, a kind of standard accent that wasn't specific to any region. But really, honestly, you tend to find people who speak like me in the south of England, certainly the southeast of England. Okay, now um, I think by by the standards of most British people, I think they would say that my dad's accent is slightly posh, because there aren't many regional inflections in his voice. Um, all right, now uh, the reason I wrote loads of paragraphs about this before is that the more you talk about accents in the UK the more you realize it's a really complicated subject and there are many issues going on here so I guess one thing you should definitely understand about accents in the United Kingdom is that it's very complicated and it can be controversial also and that it includes many many different cultural um, issues like for example 
um, issues relating to the class system and whether there is still a class system in the UK and issues about national identity, uh, issues about local identity, issues about personal identity. Uh, lots of these things are wrapped up in um, the whole subject of regional accents in the UK. Now, what about this word posh? What does posh mean? Posh can mean different things to different people, but generally speaking, posh refers to upper class things, like sort of, uh, what do I mean by upper class? I guess the most obvious example of upper class would be the Queen and the Royal Family. I mean, they are the most upper class people. They're the, they are the poshest people in the United Kingdom. Some of you listening to this might know the word posh because of Victoria Beckham. Um, and, you know, her nickname used to be Posh Spice because she was a member of the Spice Girls, the uh, the pop group from the 90s, the Spice Girls. Uh, and the Spice Girls all had nicknames based on their appearances or based on their personalities. So there was Ginger Spice. She was called that because she had ginger hair. There was uh, Scary Spice because she was kind of scary. There was Sporty Spice because she wore lots of sports clothes and she was very sort of active and she jumped around a lot. Uh, there was Baby Spice because she wore her hair in pigtails and so she looked kind of, you know, a bit sweet and innocent. So they called her Baby Spice. Um, and there was Posh Spice because Posh Spice was very sort of chic and very elegant looking and she appeared to wear very smart, very posh, high class clothing. She, you know, she looked like she was like really classy, high class. In, in actual fact, uh, Victoria Beckham, I mean, she's not really that posh. She comes from, I guess she comes from Essex or East London or something like that. I'm not sure. I think that's where she comes from. She's not really that posh. And when you hear her speak, she's got, you know, a bit of a regional accent, you know, which is fine. Um, but uh, I don't think she's really that posh. Anyway, so posh means upper class uh, and sort of, you know, relating to uh, high class culture or high-class people. Obviously, like the Queen being definitely the poshest person in the country. Uh, other posh people that I would think of would be people like David Cameron, the former Prime Minister, because he went to a very, very exclusive school and uh, grew up with lots of very posh people. Um, and uh, probably other members of the Conservative Party. Boris Johnson is very posh. I think Theresa May is quite posh. Basically, if you... If you come from a family that has like a large house, maybe several properties in the in the UK, lots of money, maybe uh, you drive a Range Rover, uh, you've got like a Jaguar car or something, maybe you wear like uh, a barber jacket and uh, you might have, yeah, a countryside house and a city house. You went to a, an exclusive and expensive school, um, you know. You might maybe you know people who work in uh, like very top level uh, positions in companies. Uh, you might have someone that you know who is an art dealer or something like that. You might be you might have connections with uh, the establishment, like people who work in the higher levels of government, or maybe you, the the you know your parents are friends with judges and high uh, high level lawyers and doctors. You know, like the highest levels of society. Uh, often these people are posh. Now, it doesn't have to be. You can obviously get to the highest level without being posh. But generally speaking, we associate uh, posh people with like old money, old family money, 
properties, um, uh, very, very high uh, levels in, in companies like managing directors, uh, the owners of banks, um, and, you know, all of these rich establishment people uh, are probably posh. And posh people speak in a certain way, and they have certain types of uh, culture and lifestyles. Um, and things like that, all right? Now, I'm talking about the class system, and that's how this starts to get complicated, because um, some people will say that that the class system doesn't really apply anymore, and that uh, all of these divisions are political divisions that uh, arguably don't exist anymore, like Margaret Thatcher, uh, who used to be the Prime Minister in the 1980s, she argued that we didn't have, you know, that we that there was no such thing as class anymore, because it wasn't, you know, you know, your your position in society uh, wasn't defined by the school that you went to or how much money your parents had. It's defined purely by your own merit, like the work that you do and the things that you achieve as an individual in your life, and that you can write, you know, can you can like go up in terms of your status level in society by working hard and applying yourself, and by you know, with individual entrepreneurialism. Uh, and hard work, you can raise your uh, social status. Uh, and, you know, so many people think that uh, these old class divisions that we that we used to have uh, in the past are no longer um, applicable today. But, I mean, I don't really agree. I think that you can still see evidence of class divisions in various ways, like the ways in which people speak, the ways in which people behave, the kinds of uh, things that they buy, the clothes they wear, and the things they do, the the connections that uh, that you can see between, you know, parts of the media, parts of uh, the world of business, um, the, the government, and things like that. Ooh, okay, so we understand what the word posh means now. Is my dad posh? Does he sound posh? I think probably a lot of people in Britain would say that he sounds a bit posh. I think a lot of people in Britain would say that I sound a bit posh as well. Although I don't think we are, um, you know, because we're just a normal family. We we are probably, a, you know, middle class, upper middle class, probably like, like that. You know, my dad went to Oxford University. Um, you know, he worked for the BBC. But he didn't go to a, a private school. He just went to a comprehensive school. My brother and I both went to comprehensive schools. Those are just normal government, uh, government-funded schools. We just had a state education. Um, you know, we didn't. I don't feel like we grew up in a very privileged um, uh, social group. But you know, my dad got a good job after getting a good degree from a good university. Uh, I also went to university. So did my brother. Um, we didn't quite achieve as much as, as, as the old man, but you know, that's, uh, it's a little difficult to do, but basically I don't think we're really posh, not really posh, posh, not like, Oh, hello. I'm so posh. And I, you know, some people are so posh that they can't even speak properly. You know, like that, like really sort of Downton Abbey level posh. Um, but then again, um, this all depends on your perspective, okay? Uh, but I think, um, I don't think that my dad sounds posh, but I think probably quite a lot of British people would say that he sounds posh because he doesn't have many regional inflections in his voice. It's hard to say which part of the country he comes from. So, you know, he speaks with received pronunciation and many people probably think that sounds a bit posh. Now, 
Uh, you could say that there are slight regional variations of received pronunciation. For example, you might get like the Scottish version of received pronunciation, uh, a North of England version or a Welsh version of received pronunciation, which is pretty much the same, but with very slight inflections of a Scottish accent or certain types of vowel sound or whatever, okay? But um, that's not truly the posh accent because the true posh accent is like the way the royal family speaks or the way David Cameron speaks, okay? Uh, for example, you might find someone who's very, very posh and they might sound a little little like this, you know, and, oh, it's absolutely delightful to see you and uh, why don't you come, would you like, would you like a glass of sherry? Um, you know, like that, um... Oh, hello. Hello, yes. We're, we're looking for the garden party. Do you know the way to the garden party? Uh, that's really posh. Um, so maybe you could break it down like this, okay? And now this is tr making it really simple. So you've got regional dialects. Regional dialects. So those are uh, ways in which people speak with very strong accents. They use sort of particular words and phrases and the accent, the, 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 the grammar and the vocabulary are all very specific to certain areas in the country. Okay, um, like what? Can I give you an example of that? Um, maybe if I did uh, an example of... So when I was a kid, I went to school in a place near Birmingham. And some of the people in Birmingham sound a bit like this. All right, how's it going? You know, yum going down the shops. For example, like that, you know, like, no one else in the country speaks like this. And if you speak like this, you're definitely from Birmingham. So that's, uh, I guess, that's a regional accent, almost a dialect. Um, so regional dialects, strong accents, and particular words and phrases used. Then regional accents, that's just the strong accents that are specific to certain areas. So, you know, like in Birmingham, the way people speak a little bit like this in Birmingham. All right, how's it going? You know, like that. Um, or in in Liverpool, people so, sort of speak a little bit like this. All right, how's it going? Do you want a cup of tea? That's uh, a regional accent. In that case, a Liverpool accent, right? So regional dialects, regional accents. Then we have standard RP or standard received pronunciation with slight regional variations. Like, for example, the, the difference between received pronunciation from the north of England, received pronunciation from the south of England. For example, in the south of England, you'd say, um, let's see, um, um, I, um, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to go and have a bath. I'm going to go and have a bath. I'll see you later. I'm going to go and have a bath. Now, similarly, someone with received pronunciation from the north of England might say, I'm, I'm going to go and have a bath. I'm going to go and have a bath. So the, the only difference there is bath and bath, but it's not very strong, you see? So that's standard received pronunciation with slight regional variations. Um, and also, then you'd get standard received pronunciation from the southeast of England, which is the way I speak. Uh, then you've got heightened RP or heightened received pronunciation, which is that sort of very, that posh way that uh, some people speak. And uh, they sound a bit like this. Hello. Um, so, uh, you know, like the way David Cameron speaks. He's David Cameron speaks a little like this. Now, now look here. 
Um, maybe Boris Johnson is a better one. Boris Johnson speaks with that slightly heightened RP accent because, you know, he went to a private school and uh, he's always hung around with, you know, very sort of uh, high-level people in society. Uh, and uh, look, uh, Boris Johnson speaks a little like this, you know, and it's definitely received pronunciation with a heightened, very posh sound. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's bloody hard to explain, I'll be honest really bloody difficult to explain but it's just a certain way of speaking like this and it's it 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 involves um you know vowel sounds and it also involves uh a certain sort of rhythm um a certain kind of attitude almost a a particular form of of body language um also um so that's a sort of heightened rp if you if you listen to prince william or prince harry now although they are members of the royal family they're kind of normal, right? I mean, by that I mean that they, for members of the royal family, they're quite normal in in the sense that they they seem to be like normal people, um, uh, you know, like ordinary people. Uh, but if you listen to them carefully, you can hear that they do have this heightened RP accent. Um, so you know, Harry might sort of speak a little like this, you know. Um, well, I think that it's, you know, the media has been giving us an awful lot of attention uh, recently. And look, you know, we're just trying to live our lives and I, 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 it's just not on. Um, so that's heightened RP. And then there's very heightened RP, which is often very old fashioned. And it might be like the way that the Queen used to speak or maybe still does speak. We don't hear the Queen speak very much these days. But heightened RP is like very old-fashioned and very, very posh. Very, very old-fashioned and very, very posh indeed. Oh, hello. You know, that one. That's very heightened RP. Hello. Yes, we're looking for the garden party. Do you know the way to the garden party? Yes. Okay. So, complicated, isn't it? Now, depending on your social background, you'll consider some accents to be more posh than others. So, for example, if you if you enter a very, very, very posh uh, public school and you speak a bit like this, then you might consider this to be normal. And uh, only the Queen speaks with truly posh English. But if you if you came from like you know some school in South London or something, then uh, you're going to think that I sound posh. So it really depends on your 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 perspective and your point of view. Um, Okay, so if the accent is associated with a higher social class than yours, based on the old class model, then you'll probably say it's posh. So, you know, a lot of people are going to listen to me and they're going to think I sound a bit posh um, because of the way I speak with received pronunciation. Okay, all right. So posh, by the way, can be either positive or negative. It depends on your view of the situation. So you can say, oh, God, I can't stand this place. I can't stand Chelsea. It's just so bloody posh. All these posh wankers walking around with their with their puffy jackets and their Range Rovers. Oh, God, I can't stand it. It's a bit, it's a bit it's just really posh around here, isn't it? You know, so it can be negative or it can be really positive. Like, oh, this is a lovely, I love this restaurant. Oh, it's really posh here, isn't it? You know, it depends if you think it's good or bad. It's, it's sort of uh, subjective. So, on balance, my dad speaks with standard received pronunciation, which kind of um, is is a result of his upbringing, that he was born into a middle-class family, that he went to 
a good university. He worked hard and managed to get into Oxford University, where he received like a really high-level education in English literature. And probably some of the lecturers that he had at Oxford probably did speak rather like this. You know, they probably had some old, stuffy, grey-haired academics who'd been at Oxford University for many years, and they probably spoke this very old-fashioned sort of heightened RP. I, I imagine that he probably heard a lot of people speaking like that. Um, one of the people that my dad had as a lecturer for a while was Christopher Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien's son. J.R.R. Tolkien, obviously the guy who wrote The Lord of the Rings. Um, my dad attended lectures by J.R.R. Tolkien's son. And, you know, if you see YouTube videos of J. R. of Christopher Tolkien, he speaks in heightened RP. Um, so I'm sure that my dad sort of met people who spoke with high RP at um, Oxford and then he worked at the BBC for a long time and you know part of his job was about trying to speak in a very clear form of English and just the I guess the most neutral one or what's considered to be the most neutral one is standard received pronunciation not that it's better than other accents or whatever I mean I I personally find all of the accents to be um, fascinating and full of character and and beautiful. Um, so there you go. I hope that answers your your question, uh, Sebastian, about my dad's accent. It's standard RP. Um, it may be a little bit posh, but not proper posh, because I don't think he really belongs to that part of society. That kind of oh, hello, where did you go? Oh, you went to Eton. Oh, you know, he's not one of those people. You know. Oh, 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 really? Well, you must come round sometime. We'll go hunting. Uh, let's go hunting for ducks and we'll shoot some ducks. And it'll be fantastic. No. All right, then. OK, um, that's about it for this episode. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Um, and uh, I didn't get through all the stuff I wanted to get through, but I might do another one in which I deal with all the other things. Because there's a there's a question about grammar for me to deal with, and a question about verb tenses, a question about media bias. So much stuff to talk about on this podcast and, and so little time as ever. I mean, you know, even the, the subject of accents is so fascinating. Recently, I, I, um, I think I said on the podcast before, I listened to an audio book by David Crystal and his son, Ben Crystal. Uh, they are... Uh, David Crystal is probably the, the UK's most well-known linguist. And his son, Ben Crystal, is a trained theatre actor. And uh, together they wrote a book called, uh, what's it called? You Say Potato, which is all about accents. And it pretty much covers every every corner of this particular subject. Um, and so if you want to really know more about accents in the UK, try reading You Say Potato or you could download it from Audible, you know, there, there is an audiobook version of it. Probably the audiobook is the best one, because that way you can actually hear Ben Crystal doing all the different accents. Um, you can get it on Audible, uh, or you can buy it, you know, as a just a, an old-fashioned book. Uh, it's called You Say Potato by David and Ben Crystal, and that, I guess, is a recommendation from me to you. I love accents, and maybe what I should do in order to really sort of deal with the subject, is um, just look at, uh, like, in an episode, look at a particular accent. So spend a whole episode just on one accent, and then another episode on another accent. 
I have done some episodes in the past like that. For example, I did a couple of episodes in which we listened to some Scottish voices. We did some episodes in which we listened to uh, someone speaking with a Cockney accent. Um, I've done some stuff about uh, Birmingham accents in the past. Uh, I think the best way to do it really is instead of trying to understand the science of the accent, you just spend lots of time listening to different accents knowing where they come from. So, for example, I could do, in this episode of the podcast, we're going to just listen to people speaking in uh, in a Liverpudlian accent, a Scouse accent, and then we listen to interviews with like professional footballers from Liverpool. Sounds like a good idea. Maybe that's what I should do. But um, let's see if I can actually get that done. All right, then. So, speak to you again soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.